I usually have my uh, microphone turned off, and I didn't while we were singing that song, and so hopefully you had it muted back there, Dave. Thanks. Um, I didn't hear my voice, thankfully, coming through the speaker, but uh, it's on now. Is it good? Can you hear me? Are, are we good? Okay. All right. Good. Well, uh, welcome. Glad that uh, we're here, and as Pastor Stan said, uh, happy Mother's Day, recognizing that that means uh, a number of different things and feels a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. And so it's good to be together, and it's always good to be uh, under the authority of the Word of God. We open it up each week. We're walking through the Gospel of John. It's taking a long time, uh, but it is so rich, and I'm glad that we can do it again today. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 5 through 15. Wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you suddenly felt alone. Like there was some big task in front of you, and maybe you had done it at some degree with somebody by your side, and now here you are seeking to do it alone. Do you remember the first time that you went out driving by yourself? You remember that you had maybe a learner's permit first, and so you were able to do this driving thing with somebody either helping or nagging you uh, from the seat next to you, and so you kind of had a bit of extra comfort because you weren't doing it totally alone. I remember the first day I had my driver's license. I grew up in town, so I didn't do a lot of driving until I got my uh, permit. Uh, I had, we had a 1986 Oldsmobile uh, that I got to drive, and the very first day that I had my driver's license, I backed into a pole, and uh, and the bumper on that was still steel, and so so I was reminded of that every time I got in because there was a big V uh, notch in the back of the bumper where it had gotten dented in from my first day driving alone. Kirsten and I often laugh also of the time when when both of us were dropped off. We didn't know each other when we began college, but. Both of us feeling probably a bit ill-prepared to be left alone all of a sudden. Maybe you remember that time too, being dropped off at college. And then there's that moment where this person uh, or people that have been by your side through all of life are no longer there. And you're kind of looking forward to it, but it's also a little bit scary. Kirsten's first day didn't go well. She had been registered for things wrong. And so she was waiting in line and was told that she was missing an important piece of paper. And so as she went back to the car to get the important piece of paper, other important pieces of paper blew away in the wind. And then she got back in. And you trip over a fan or something and not, right? Um, and so, so, so that didn't go very well. Um, I found out very quickly uh, in, in college that I didn't know how to do laundry. Like all of my life, that had been done for me. And I was not prepared uh, to do this task alone. And I found out you're supposed to wash your sheets on your bed more than once a semester, I guess. Um, and uh, so all these things that I had to learn in, in those first moments of feeling suddenly left alone. I bring up all those things because we're at a spot in John's gospel now where, where we've been drawing this out over weeks because John devotes chapters of the Bible to these last hours before the crucifixion of Jesus. It had become clear by Thursday, it was uh, John chapter 13, they had had this last meal together, Jesus and the disciples. And they shared this meal together. Jesus loved them and expressed his love to them in a number of different ways, gave them some instructions, and, and let them know that his time to go and depart and be with the Father was coming. 
These disciples who had been called from various occupations, now following Jesus with him in the flesh for three whole years. He'd been preparing them for the mission that he had given to them, but now they're at a point where he's about to leave. He's going to depart and be with the Father. And they're scared. They're sad. They're not sure. They're not ready for this. We've, we've seen that, haven't we? They're not ready for this. Jesus comforts them then in John chapter 14 by telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm one day going to come and get you that you may be where I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And later on in chapter 14, we were introduced to the way in which he was going to still be with them. Yes, Jesus was going to ascend into heaven, but you remember he let them know that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who would come alongside them, the helper who would be with them and even be in them. In John 15 then, he reminded them that they needed to stay closely connected to him in a living relationship with him, abiding in him, because if they're not abiding in him, what happens? Nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he told them in chapter 15. And then last week, as Pastor Stan preached through the end of chapter 15, Jesus said, if you're in me, the good news is you bear fruit. But also, if you're in me, you're going to be like me and people are going to hate you. This is the reality for the disciples. And so Jesus is seeking to prepare them for the mission that he's going to give them. The mission to go and proclaim the gospel to all the world. The mission to go and make disciples of all nations. But how are these uneducated, uh, hated, immature group of men going to accomplish the mission that Jesus is giving to them? Well, today we're going to see a bit more of that as we look at John chapters chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. And we're going to see that the way in which they're going to accomplish this is it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in them, working in the world and working through the Word of God. And so if you have your Bible, you're in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. And if you're able to, would you please stand as we read the Word of God. I'm going to pray and then we'll read. Father, we already prayed in our singing that you would speak, O Lord, knowing that you speak through your Word. We pray that you would do it to the end, that your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit who inspired uh, the writers of Scripture to write every one of these words. Thank you for the way that your word has been over time uh, so, so um, carefully passed along so that we can live with confidence today that as I read these words, these are the word of God. What a gift to us that you would be a God who wants to be known, who wants to make your desire and your character so clear to us that you have given us your very word. So help us to hear, help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to be molded, minds to be shaped according to your word for your glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, God's word says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Amen. You can be seated. So as usual in your bulletin, uh, there is uh, a spot for you to take some notes, a couple of application questions, so that we're not people who just hear the word, say that was nice, and walk out unchanged by it. Uh, But we want to be discussing, praying uh, over, and reflecting on the word of God as well. Point number one today is this, disciples need the Holy Spirit. It began by Jesus, it's actually the end of verse 4. We split it up in weird ways sometimes. The people who put the verses in there, John didn't write verse numbers as he wrote his gospel. But the end of verse 4 says this, I did not say these things. This is Jesus still speaking with his disciples, saying, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. These things probably referring to everything I already talked about in the introduction in chapters 13 through 15. He didn't let them know all of this right away. For three years, he lived with them uh, and taught them many things, but he's now just revealing many of these things to them for the first time. And now he's ready to share because he is going. He lets them again. No, he's told them this over and over again now. Now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus is going to be with the Father again. And then he adds this interesting comment. He says, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, you might remember, if you've been here on Sunday morning, if you've studied the Scripture, that actually in chapter 13, verse 36, do you remember what Peter's question was? Where are you going? Right? So Peter has asked him that question. But we need to think of the context again in which Jesus is saying this to them. This is all on Thursday night. But, but it's after the meal, and at the end of chapter 14, they had left the room where they were eating. Jesus said, rise, let us go. And so we don't know where they are now, but they're no longer in that room. So presumably some hours have passed between the meal in John 13 and what Jesus is saying now in John 16. And you can imagine the disciples, how they're feeling, and their focus is not so much on Jesus and where he's going. He has told that to them. But, but they're just kind of processing it. Again, remember, they're, they're relatively immature at this point. And they're processing things through. A lot of times, as, as we do when we grieve, someone we love is going away. We're just thinking about ourselves, right? And so, so that's what they're mostly thinking about. We're told here, sorrow has filled your heart. That's how they're feeling at this point. As I was trying to understand what this might be like, What I thought of was I thought of this. I thought of a dad. A dad serving in the military who finds out that he's being deployed and he's going to be gone for some time. And he shares this news with his son. 
and the son, understandably, is grief-stricken. He's trying to figure out, well, who's going to wrestle with me? Who's going to read me books before bed? Who's going to pray with me? It's not that he's not concerned about his dad and where he's going. His, the son's first question isn't going to be, Dad, where are you going to be deployed to? How long? The son's just thinking about himself. Sorrow has filled his heart. Daddy's going to go. I think that's the sense that I get, uh, that, that the disciples are feeling. They're not concerned so much about where Jesus is going. He's trying to make that clear, but their, their response is sorrow. They're not happy for Jesus going to be with the Father. But Jesus is going to tell them, but this is good news. Because you need something even other than me. You've had me here, God in human flesh, with you for three years. Imagine the great advantage that that was to them. God in human flesh here with them. But Jesus is going to tell them, it's even better for you that I leave. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's like, okay, I I don't get this, Jesus, the disciples must be thinking. It's going to be better for us. We've been messing stuff up the whole time you've been with us. And now it's going to be better when you're gone? Why? Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Remember, back in chapter 14, Jesus had already introduced them to this helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, God himself. Remember, we have one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is. But Jesus in human flesh was limited in that he could only be in one place at one time. And that's why Jesus can turn to them and say to them, listen, it's going to be an advantage to you if I go away. Because when I go away, I send a helper and the helper's coming to dwell in each of you. I will send him to you. It's going to be an advantage. And there's going to be two things that Jesus is going to share about why it's good for the disciples, for Jesus to go away and to send the Holy Spirit instead. Before we get to that, though, just a quick point of application, and that is this. Jesus calls us out of the world into the body or into the church as disciples of Jesus. This is what happens. Jesus calls us out of the world. That's Remember, last week as Pastor Stan preached in John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But as it is, I have chosen you out of the world, right? That that we've been taken from the the way of the world and doing whatever we want to do, living as our own kings, living under the slavery of sin. And Jesus has rescued us from that, called us to himself, made us a part of this new family, the body of Christ, and sent us out on mission. So he calls us to him, but then he sends us out as well. Jesus sends us out into the world to make disciples of Jesus together as the body of church this is what we are to do and just like the disciples had been given or were to be given a mission by jesus and they were desperately in need of the holy spirit for sure and one another so we too two thousand years later are desperately in need if we want to accomplish the mission like we got we have a good church a healthy church we got some good programs we got healthy leaders you know, we have good music on Sunday morning. Like, we can start listing off all this stuff that we have going on. But what we are desperately in need of, church, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us and through us to accomplish the mission that God has for us. If, 
we, we probably take for granted the fact that, that, that God has, has built this church into a healthy local church. You know, a hundred some people gathering together every week. You know where I'm going to be next Sunday? I'm not going to preach next Sunday. Pastor Stan's going to get to preach again. I'm going to be uh, basically at a funeral service for the church I grew up in. They're deciding next week is the last week of that church. Uh, they're closing their doors. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to get to share a little bit uh, with that church family. Uh, but but over time, the numbers of people have dwindled in that church. They've sought to be faithful to the gospel. But it we take for granted, uh, this has happened, that's not the only church that that's happening in, right? We take for granted that that a church is, is, is healthy and strong and growing like ours, and we're thankful for that. But we need to recognize we are desperately in need of the work of the Holy Spirit, both in us and through us, if we're going to see the church grow. All right. So, it'll be hard and we'll be hated, right? That's what the disciples needed to learn. This is going to be hard. If you read the book of Acts, it was hard, and they were hated, right? The reality is we need the Holy Spirit to be with us if we're going to be and do what he requires. So, second point. I told you that we're told in this passage by Jesus, here's two reasons, two, two works of the Holy Spirit that are going to give the disciples hope that even after Jesus is gone, it's going to be better for them. Why? Why do they have any hope that these uneducated men from all sorts of different backgrounds are going to be working together that the, the gospel might be proclaimed in all the world and that disciples would be made of all nations? How is this going to happen? Two things that the Holy Spirit is going to do in the passage that we're reading today. The first is about the Holy Spirit's work in the world. Okay? The Holy Spirit will be at work in the world, and there's really one word uh, to describe the Holy Spirit's work in the world. And that word is the word convict or conviction. Okay? That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, is the Holy Spirit is going to be sent by Jesus in order to bring conviction to the world. And then Jesus lists three areas of conviction, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Before we talk more specifically about each of those, just a quick definition, I guess, of what conviction is. If, if the Holy Spirit's work in the world is the work of convicting, what does that mean? I think probably the easiest way to kind of define it uh, would be to just say this, proving wrong. The Holy Spirit is going to come and convict or prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? The, the world has an understanding of things like sin and righteousness and judgment. But part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to come and to bring conviction about those things. And so what Jesus does then is he not just mentions those three, but he talks more specifically about each of those three in verses 9, 10, and 11. So look at verse 9. The Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world concerning sin. And then Jesus adds, because they do not believe in me. So again, definition, what is sin? Sin is not being or doing what God requires. Sin is falling short. Sin is missing the mark. Here is what God calls us to be and to do, and here's where we land. We fall short. We miss the mark. The problem is most people in the world 
have a problem with other people's sin and are totally fine with their own. That's the way we're naturally kind of thinking, right? That's the way you thought before you were in Christ, like I did. I thought I was doing fine. Like I kind of had a comparative thing going on. As I grew up, I, I knew the right things, and I was better than most other kids, and so I'm, I'm fine. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to come into the world to convict people of sin, to help people to realize that they have fallen short, that they have missed the mark, that they are not being or doing what God requires. And by God's grace, this is a work that He did in me when I was a freshman in college, learning how to do laundry. Right? That wasn't the most important thing I learned that year. That was really small compared to the fact that I learned that I was a man desperately in need of a Savior. This Jesus who I'd grown up hearing about was was Lord, and I was not submitting myself to Him. And I needed the work of the Holy Spirit to come into my life to convict me of sin. That's what the world needs. Also, verse 10. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. And then Jesus says this, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Trying to figure out this week uh, the connection between those things. Again, Jesus is, we've got to think of context. He's telling the disciples, I'm going to go away and that's going to be better. Has Jesus, while he's been on earth, has he convicted, has he brought about conviction in the lives of people? Certainly. There are some people that Jesus spent a lot of time talking to that had one understanding of righteousness, and for the most part, they thought they were doing it well. Righteousness according to the law. The Pharisees, Jesus spent a lot of time talking to them. They thought they had righteousness pretty well kind of figured out. And Jesus came, and part of what he did is he brought light into that darkness, and he shined some light in ways that helped people to see that self-righteousness is just another form of sin. And so the world needed to be convicted about or proven wrong about righteousness. The idea that you somehow could attain righteousness that would give you right standing before God on your own, the world needs to be shown that that is not true. You cannot on your own attain the righteousness that God requires. And so Jesus had done some of that work while he was here in the flesh. But most of the time, what did he get from the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Usually not repentance, but usually opposition, right? And the good news is Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to convict the world concerning righteousness. This is good news. Even religious people who think they have it together and are living righteous lives are going to be convicted of sin and righteousness and going to turn to faith in Jesus. And then finally, verse 11, also concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The world judges. We all make judgments, don't we? The thing is, we're pretty bad at it. In the world even today, what's called, what is good is called evil, and what is evil is often called good. We make bad judgments all the time. We are people that are easily deceived, and Satan's kind of having a heyday, right? Just, Just deceiving people in small ways that turn into bigger things that turn into bigger things. The world needs to be convinced and convicted to be proven wrong about the judgments that we're making. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will open people's eyes up to the deception 
that they have been living under, showing that no, Satan is not the one who's the ruler of the world, but Jesus has victory over even him. And so we look forward to the Holy Spirit's work, and we see all around us, even now, as the disciples would, the Holy Spirit's work in the world, convicting the world, proving us wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This is our hope. And so application for us would be this. A lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, even the way we talk or even sing about the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like this, the Holy Spirit comes to give me certain feelings, and they're usually warm, tingly, and fuzzy, right? The way Jesus is talking about the work the Holy Spirit needs to come and do here in this passage doesn't sound very warm and tingly and fuzzy, does it? The Holy Spirit coming to do a proving wrong, a convicting. And nobody likes to be convicted, Nobody likes to be shown that you're wrong, usually, right? That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's one thing we need the Holy Spirit to come and do. The Holy Spirit comes to convict or prove that the world is wrong. When the world prefers to condemn others' sin and tolerate their own, the Holy Spirit needs to come and bring about conviction. When the world prefers to make up their own standards of righteousness and pat themselves on the back because they're doing it, We need the Holy Spirit to come and to prove us wrong, to convict us. The world needs the Holy Spirit's work of conviction. And that's not just like a worldwide kind of thing. That's not just a culture thing. That's a personal thing. Some of you, you, maybe you've been like, I'm interested in this church. Maybe you've been a part of it for a long time. You enjoy, enjoy being here for the most part on Sunday morning. But have you had that moment uh that, that I got to have when I was a freshman in college where, where you realized that like your church attendance and your trying harder to be a better person was not satisfactory, uh, was not living up to what God has called you to? Have you been convicted by the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? This is a work that needs to happen, not just God loves you and has a good plan for your life kind of stuff. This is, you're a sinner, and you need a Savior now. I'd love to talk to you more about that this week. Uh, If that's something that you sense, you know, like, hey, I'm not getting a warm, tingly feeling as you're talking. I'm getting a, I'm a little bit angry, but I'm also thinking that I think you're right. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'd love to talk with you more about that today or this week sometime. And then there's a final point that Jesus wants to make. That's in verses 12 through 15. The Holy Spirit's work in the Word. Jesus, remember, we've got to use the context here because this is a passage that I think can be taken out of context. I've taken it out of context before. The context is Jesus talking to the disciples, preparing them for what is to come as they seek to fulfill His mission going forward. And in that context, we need to understand that context. And in that context, we're going to see this. Here's the Holy Spirit's work in the Word. The disciples, it seems, are not quite ready for the mission that God has given to them. And Jesus acknowledges that. He says that to them in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. Three years with these men. Jesus is about to be crucified within hours. He'll be with them for about 40 days again after the resurrection, but then he's going to ascend to heaven. It's like graduation day is coming for these guys, 
and they are not prepared to go out into the world yet. Three years of time with Jesus, and they still have a whole lot that they haven't yet figured out. And Jesus acknowledges that. He lets them know, hey guys, I have some more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They're not ready. But do you remember what I just said about the timeline? How's this going to work? How, how are these guys going to get ready in just a few days to do what Jesus is calling them to do if he's going to die within hours and only going to spend 40 days with them after the resurrection? If, if they're not ready now, how is God going to communicate to the world once Jesus ascends into heaven? Right? He has done that already now. He's doing that through Jesus who's there with them in flesh. But Jesus is about to leave, and they're not ready to hear everything he has to say. So how will God communicate to his people when Jesus ascends? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Listen, here's the answer. When the Spirit of truth comes, another name for the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority... But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. How? For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see three times there that word declare is showing up. The Holy Spirit, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is he's going to take what is from God and he's going to declare, he's going to take the very word of God and he's going to declare it. Declare is is an announcement, a making clear of something. God still, God God has spoken clearly in the scriptures already. The 39 books of what we would call the Old Testament, that was their scriptures. But how are are people going to hear the good news of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how we ought to respond to that? The Old Testament has given promises and shadows, but it's all pointing ahead to what is happening over these next days here for the disciples. How is the world going to hear about that? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to take what God has to say, and he's going to declare it. The Holy Spirit will declare this truth to the disciples. Now, uh, we could spend, you know, uh, let, me, let me just uh, leave it on that so you can see that. I did, I, I, I had to, I, the reason Pastor Stan preached last week is because I had the week before I was given time to just work on my ordination paper. And part of that was talking about how did we get Scripture. Um, so having to kind of lay that all out, I got a whole bunch of stuff I could read to you. And if, you, if you're really interested in that, I would love to spend some time talking this week because I just have a little thing to prepare for, uh, for my message at, at my parents' church next week. And so I got some extra time. Let's get together this week and talk about stuff. Um, but one of the disciples, uh, let, let me just say this. Um, there's 27 books in the New Testament. We believe that the 27 books of the New Testament and the 39 books of the Old Testament are the very Word of God, okay? verbally inspired. 
So that is that the Holy Spirit uh, took, took the Word of God and, and used human authors with their own unique writing styles and their own unique personalities and experiences. And so not overriding those things, but, but work through those so that what we could have today is the very Word of God. Okay? Amazing stuff took place in order that we could have that kind of confidence that what we hold is the very Word of God. But one of those disciples that Jesus was talking to was a guy named Peter. By the way, um, of the 27 books in the New Testament, um, all but five of them are written by an apostle. An apostle is someone who was commissioned by Jesus. And so these disciples here in the room, and Paul was also included as an apostle, right? Because he met with Jesus on the road to Damascus. We read about in the book of Acts. And so all but five of the New Testament books then written by, by apostles. And even those five that like the book of Mark, uh, Mark was not one of those disciples who was always with Jesus, but Mark was getting information from Peter as he wrote that, even as the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. Uh, Jude, a half-brother of Jesus. You know, so, so those kinds of things. Again, we can talk more about that this week. But here's the, what Peter would say in his letter called Second Peter. The primary way that God communicates with people is through his word. Here's what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament, in many ways, is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus was making to his disciples here in John chapter 16. Listen, you guys, what you need to communicate to the world in order to make disciples of all nations, you don't get it yet. I have a lot of things I still have to say to you, but you're not ready. But one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will come and he will declare to you the things that God intends to say. Three times we're told that in John 6, 16, 13 to 15, right? And Peter later on, as he's writing the very words of Scripture, reminds people this is how it came about. 2 Timothy 3.16 would be another spot that you could turn to. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Right? 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Again, you want to talk more about that? I'd love to do that this week. But we can have great confidence that the, the word that we have here is the very word of God. Thankful that we can have that kind of confidence. And thankful that God intended his message to go out and disciples to be made through the Holy Spirit's work of convicting the world of sin and also through the Holy Spirit's work in causing Scripture to be written, but also the Holy Spirit's work in helping us to see clearly what is in the Scriptures today. So the Holy Spirit continues to work through the Word of God. I've often said, and even as I've prayed often before a sermon, God, would you come now and by your Spirit working through your Word, build up your church, right? That's how the church is built up. That's how disciples are made. That's how lost people come to faith in Jesus, when the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God amongst the people of God. All right. One point of application, and then we get this thing together again. The disciples were not ready to fulfill the mission that Jesus had for them. The mission to proclaim the gospel to all the world and to make disciples of all nations. 
So how were they going to do that? Well, they weren't going to do it alone. They needed the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus could say to them, it's better for you that I go and send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come to dwell in them. The Holy Spirit would work in the world to bring about conviction. And the Holy Spirit would work in the apostles to write the very word of God. And so this this is how, this is, this is good news, because this is how good things take place. Like I said, the New Testament is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise there in, in John 16, 12 to 15. But God is glorified when the scriptures are proclaimed and trusted. So here's what we do. One of the applications of this is that we want to, as a church, we want to study and believe and proclaim the Word of God. We know that this is the way that the Holy Spirit works, through the Word of God to build up the church of God. We have people, don't we, in our lives, that it's like they're blind to the gospel. We've tried sharing the gospel with them, and either they respond with arguments and objections, or they just kind of nod their head, but you know they're not believing it. Right? How do people come to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ? It's when God takes the blinder off their eyes. That's part of the work of conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for that. How do we make disciples? We make disciples by helping people to be grounded in and molded by the very word of God. So we believe, study, proclaim the word of God so disciples are made. And ultimately so that God is glorified. That's what Jesus said in John 16 verse 14. The Holy Spirit's work, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. God is glorified when the Holy Spirit does the work of taking what is God's and declaring it to his people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And I thank you that that, uh, even though I didn't have a great conclusion to uh, my sermon, that your spirit... uh, can work through your word to build up your people. That maybe the work of your spirit here today needed to be the work of conviction in some who have their own understanding of sin and righteousness and judgment. But maybe it doesn't line up with yours. And so God, would you come and and, and do that work? Bring about conviction. Bring about people that are committed to studying and believing and proclaiming your word as we trust that you will take blinders off of people's eyes to help them to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That that you would be making disciples. Disciples who are new disciples, disciples who have been disciples for a long time, little children who are growing up to be discipled as followers of Jesus. God, we, we, uh, we're thankful for your Holy Spirit's presence in us. We're thankful for your, your Holy Spirit's presence in this church. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit's work to bring glory to Jesus. He alone deserves all glory, honor, and praise. And so, God, help us to do that now as we sing a song about the glory of Christ. Help us to believe that to be true. And then help us to believe that to be true also as we go out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand? And we'll sing a song about the glory that is uh, belonging to Christ.